Welcome to Albuquerque Westside Foursquare's podcast. My name is Tony. I lead worship at Westside Foursquare Church and upload the podcast. If you have questions, comments, or prayer requests, please reach out to us in the email listed in the show notes. You can also find us on YouTube and Facebook. I hope you enjoy the message today. All right, so good morning. Today we are continuing the series that I am teaching on Jesus or on God's love and you. Today is part three. I thought when God first gave this to me that there would be three parts to it. But as I was preparing, (laughs) as I was preparing my notes, I realized that the third part is not going to fit into one Sunday. But I do want to go back and review what we've talked about so far because. I, I hope that it doesn't annoy you guys that I tend to review stuff when I do a series. <laughs> but the reason I review stuff is because we are hearing lies all week long. Yeah. And you have a new person who hasn't heard any of it. Well, I have a person here who hasn't heard the previous, the previous lessons as well. But we hear lies repeated all week long. And so when I bring you what God has, has told me to tell you from the Word, I am going to repeat it in an effort to combat the lies that you hear all week long. So um, turn with me to John chapter 15. It is God's love and you, part three. But we're going to review parts one and two. So turn with me and please, as always, flip or click with me to the scripture. I want to make sure that I am preaching what the Bible says. I can be deceived too. I can fall for the lies of the enemy And so I count on you guys to compare what I am saying to the Word of God so that if I get off, you can come back to me and say, hey, pastor, I think you you got off the track there, all right? So please, please, please pull up the scriptures with me as we go. John 15, starting in verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. So according to this, is bearing fruit a good thing? Is this something that we want to accomplish in our lives? Okay. It is God's purpose. Yes, Rachel. Sorry, what is a vine dresser? A vine dresser is a, is a, is a grape farmer. Okay, He's you. a grape farmer, yeah. Okay. That's the name of a person who um, takes care of grape vines. Hmm. All right, verse 3, Jesus says, Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Do you notice that that's 
in the form of a command. This doesn't just happen. Us abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us doesn't just happen. It's something that we are expected to facilitate in our lives. That we are expected to pursue this state of events where we abide in him and he abides in us. Then it says, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So again, bearing fruit, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. That's the goal. And he says... Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that he it is that bears much fruit. So verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Now I know some people who accuse God of being mean. Can I ask you a question? If you are in charge of making sure that a grapevine produces lots of grapes, and you have a branch that is not producing grapes, it's just sucking life from the vine, but it's not producing anything, is it mean for you to cut that branch off and get it out of the way? No, because the entire rest of the vine is suffering. It's actually God's love. Because if there's a, if there's a branch that's not bearing fruit, the entire rest of the vine is suffering for that. And so in his love, God removes the branches that don't bear fruit. Yes? Is it God's job, though, to make sure that we produce fruit, that we um, grow in his love? God has provided everything we need to produce fruit and grow in his love. And what this passage is saying is Jesus is saying, I am that vine, Mm -hmm. you're the branch, abide in me so that you will. Okay, so God has already provided everything for us, then it's our choice whether we abide in him. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father, now he's clarifying a little more now, starting in verse 9, what this whole abiding thing means. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. What translation are you reading out of? English Standard Version, ESV. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So as I've said before, the key to being fruitful as a person, in other words, accomplishing what God created you to be, the key to being fruitful in God's kingdom is not that you're filled with the Holy Spirit and do miracles. That is not the key to being fruitful in the kingdom of God. 
The key to being fruitful in the kingdom of God is not to have perfect theology and doctrine. The key to being fruitful in the kingdom of God is not that you do everything that you're supposed to do. In fact, turn with me over to 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 1. We have lots and lots of people today who believe that, and there's even teachers teaching that being fruitful in the kingdom means you're full of the Holy Spirit and power and you do miracles, Uh, or that you understand God and have the right doctrine, or that you do all the right things. Those things are actually taught, that that's the purpose of Christianity. That's what fruitfulness is. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Sorry, what was that, Katie? They're not bad things, but they are not the key to being fruitful. In fact, those three things are some of the fruit. They're not the key to being fruitful. Look in 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 1. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains... But have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So those things, power in the Holy Spirit, having good understanding of God and the scriptures, doing the things that you ought to do, all those are good things, but if you don't have love. And I don't think that this passage is talking about you having love for other people. This passage is talking about if you are not abiding in God's love, if you don't have God's love, then you're nothing. The passage we read in John 15 says, Abide in my love. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So the reason why I'm teaching about God's love is because if we don't get this, if we are not learning how to abide in the love of God, we miss the whole thing. If we are not learning how to abide in the love of God, we are not being successful as disciples of Jesus. Now, today is part three in that series on the love of God. And you'll remember the first week I told you the reason why I'm teaching this is because too often what we hear in the church is, well, God just loves you, just accept it. There's only one problem, and that is that God gave us brains. And I don't know if you've read much of the New Testament, but the New Testament is constantly talking about having our minds transformed and thinking the right kinds of thoughts, thinking kingdom thoughts. And the reason is that people are just going to do what they want to do. After 30 years of ministry and 50 years on this earth, I am convinced that people are just going to do what they want to do. 
And what you want is a, is a result of the way you look at the world. It's a result of your perspective. Okay? So if your perspective is that money will make you safe, what are you going to want to do? Right. But you know what? You're going to want to spend all your time at work. So it's more than just, because yes, you're going to want to get money, but that's going to result in actions, right? So if you believe, if your perspective is that money will make you safe or money will make you happy, you're going to spend all your time doing what it takes to get money, which means you're going to sacrifice your family, you're going to sacrifice your health, you're going to sacrifice your well-being and relationships in order to work harder and work more and get money. People are going to do what they want to do, but what they want is built on their perspective. And their perspective is built on the way they think. So the key isn't to change your behavior. The key is to change the way we think. That's why the scriptures are constantly talking about having our minds transformed. Why? Because if, we're, if our perspective is that Jesus is the source which is true, but if our mind is focused on the truth that Jesus is the source of happiness and safety and well-being and purpose and love, and that is our perspective, guess what? We're going to do the things that we believe will bring us the things that we want. So if my mind is centered on Christ... My mind is centered on the pursuit of him because I believe that he will be the one that will bring me peace and safety and purpose, then I'm going to do the things that will cause that to happen. Does that make sense? So it's not enough to just say, well, God loves you, so just accept it. I want to make it a little more accessible to our brain. So the first week, we talked about where does God's love come from? What is the source of God's love? And we talked about how God's love is sourced from the love that is in the triune Godhead. God, is, we know from Scripture, is a, has three persons in the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Okay? And those three persons have existed eternally together and love each other eternally. They are fully known and understood by each other, and they are fully loved and accepted by each other forever, forever past, forever future. God is love. That's what it means that God is love. And his his, the source of God's love for us is the love that he has in the Godhead. It's not, his love isn't generated by his relationship with us. Okay? I've been married to Joy for almost 30 years. There was a time that I was not in love with Joy. Because I didn't know her. Okay? So to some extent, the love that Joy and I have for each other is, is rooted in our relationship with each other, all right? God's love for you is not rooted in his relationship with you. 
God's love for you is rooted in his relationship within the Godhead. That's why his love for you never fails. Have you ever had a car battery die? And you're out who knows where and your car battery dies. And what do you ask someone to do for you? Jump your car. We jump their car, right? They get the cables out. Now your car battery is dead, right? Your car battery has nothing to contribute to the effort. Where does the power come to start your car? Where does it come from? It comes from a car that has power. The other car, the engine is working, the alternator is cranking, the battery is doing what it's supposed to do. And so what you have to do is you have to bring a system in that is operating properly and that power that starts your car is sourced in a system that operates properly. It is not sourced in your car. In the same way, love is not operating properly in the human heart. Because we are sinful and we are rebellious and because our our minds are corrupted by the messages of the world and by our own rebellion, our system isn't working well. So when we enter into relationship with Jesus, the love that floods into our lives is sourced in a system that is working. Does that make sense? It's sourced in the Godhead where love works properly. And we don't bring much to that equation, do we? Except that we allow ourselves to enter into that relationship. John 15, we read it before, verse 9 says, As the Father, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in that love. What Jesus is saying is, look, your heart is dead Come and abide in my love and I will take the, fa- the love that the Father and I have and I will hook jumper cables up, spiritually speaking, and you will benefit from the love that we have. Abide in it. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying abide in the love that the Father and I have, that the Father and the Holy Spirit and I have. Abide in that love. We will provide that for you. You just abide in it. Okay? So we see that God's love is never based on our behavior. It's never based on us being worthy. It is totally based on his love for Christ and the Holy Spirit, and it never fails because they never fail. And we are offered, we, think about yourself, are you all that hot? Are you all that amazing? (laughs) No, we're a mess. And Jesus says, it's okay that you're a mess. Because I love you as the Father loves me, just abide in my love. Okay? The second thing we talked about is why us? Why does God love human beings? We have zero to offer him. Nothing. You realize you have nothing that God needs? You have absolutely nothing that God needs. So why does he love you? Have you ever asked that? God, why? Why do you love me? And usually the answer we get is, well, he just does just accept it. Again, that doesn't change the way we think. 
And last week we talked about why does God love you? Nope, it's even more than that. It's even deeper than that. Joy, if you look around this room, what is something that joy loves? Blue, Blue, fall. But what is the overriding theme in our house? It's elephants. Joy loves elephants. Okay? And so joy surrounds herself with images of elephants. And all these different elephants that we have in our house are precious to her because of the people that gave them to her, but also because it represents something that she loves. Joy doesn't love necessarily the stuffed animal she loves what that stuffed animal represents does that make sense that stuffed animal or wooden animal or glass or leather or what else do we have crystal um, rubber pictures those bear the image of what she loves So she loves that thing because it bears the image of what she loves. And it was so exciting for her when we actually got to go to Africa. And she didn't just see an image of what she loves. She got to see the actual African elephants in the wild. We got to go to an elephant sanctuary where they brought baby African elephants in and we were all standing around a rope and they walked the elephants around the rope and she actually got to pet and touch real African elephants. And all these images remind her of the real thing. And in Genesis, we are told that God said, let us create man how? In our image. In our, the, the Hebrew word literally means in our likeness. In fact, just a few verses later, it says that Adam fathered a son in his likeness. It's the exact same Hebrew turn of phrase. Seth was fathered in Adam's likeness. God put the stamp, the likeness of himself on human beings. Why? Because we were created to be loved by him. That's why we're created in his likeness. God the Father looks at Jesus and the Holy Spirit and goes, man, I love you guys. And then when they created humanity, they said, I'm going to make it in the image of myself so that I will love them too. We are loved by God because that's what we were created for. We are specifically designed to be recipients of God's love. Not like the angels, but like in a different way. We are created to to partake of the love that God has within the Godhead. Now, we will never be equal with God, ever. 
But we are invited as the bride of Christ to be in equal loving relationship with God. If you can sit and think about that deeply and it doesn't blow your brain to smithereens, you're not thinking hard enough. That we are invited into equal loving relationship with God. Do you realize how mind-shattering it is that Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I love you? Does the Father love Jesus very much? And Jesus says, the exact same love that the Father has for me, I have for you. Why? Because you were created to be loved. You are created in the image of God. Now, I want to quickly throw in what I said last week. We are created to be loved, but because of our sin, we are not lovely. There are some that will tell you sin is only a product of you not realizing how much like God you are, okay? That is a lie from the pit of hell. That is absolutely diametrically opposed to what the Bible says. These teachers will say, all you have to do is realize that you're okay already, and then you'll stop sinning. That is not true. We were created in the image of God, but we have, we have marred that image. We, in our rebellion and sin, have taken the image of God that was put on our lives, and we have destroyed it. In fact, I was thinking that the best word for it is that we have marred it. We've marred that. But I thought, you know what? I need to pull up some cinnamon. Cin- cinnamon. I need to pull up some cinnamon. I'm not a big cinnamon fan. I need to pull up some synonyms of marred because marred, to mar something is not a really common English word anymore, okay? So I pulled up some, cin- some synonyms. What does marred mean? It means to spoil, to ruin, to impair, to disfigure, to detract from, to flaw, blemish, scar, mutilate, deface, deform, upset, damage, wreck, harm, hurt, blight, taint, tarnish, sully, stain. I like this one, pollute, vitiate, to foul up. Which one of those words describes what mankind has done to the image of God inside himself? Every single one of those words. We, in our rebellion and sin, in our effort to make ourselves in charge, to make ourselves gods, we have polluted the image of God that was put inside of us. We have destroyed the image of God that was put inside of us. M-A-R. Yep. So two R's to make it marred. Marred, M-A-R-R-E-D. We, as human beings, as humanity, we have done all those things to destroy the image of God inside of us. But Jesus came. All right, I should see some smiles on some faces. Humanity has done everything it can to tear down, pollute, and destroy the image of God inside of us. But Jesus came. 
And Jesus became a human being that properly carried the image of God. He did not tear down the image of God inside himself. He did not mar it. He did not pollute it. He didn't mutilate it, damage it, wreck it, hurt it, tarnish it. Jesus properly fulfilled the call of human beings to carry and steward God's image. And this is why, y'all, we don't worship ourselves. We worship Jesus. Because we are not lovely. Jesus is. Jesus is the perfect man. He finally fulfilled the purpose of human beings by being and walking in the image of God. And then he became our substitution. He became our sacrifice. He paid the price for our sin and rebellion to open the way for us to be restored into loving relationship with the Father. But I want you to hear this. We do not worship ourselves. Our focus is not on ourselves. Our focus is on Christ because He is lovely. So today I want to talk about the results of this. So God's love is sourced from the working, operating love system of the Godhead. That's where the source of his love is from, so it never fails us. We are actually created to be loved by God, and Jesus has restored us so that we can... It's kind of like um, if I saw somebody on the side of the road, and their car was dead, their battery was dead, and I said, hey, I, I would like to jump your battery. I have a working system producing electricity, I would like to jump your battery, that person can either say, thank you, let me go pop the hood of my car, or they can say, no, I like my car the way it is. Okay? So we are created to be loved by God, and Jesus took the punishment for our sins so we can be restored and hooked up to that love system. So what is the result of that? In other words, today in part three, I want to talk about because God loves me, I am free to... And we're going to fill in that blank with a few things. Because God loves me, I am free to... Now, here's the problem before we can move on to that question. The problem is that most of us are still stuck in the how can God ever love me question. And as long as we're stuck in the how can God ever love me question, we can never move on to the because I am loved, I am free to statement. And the enemy wants to keep you trapped in the how can God ever love me question. You know why? What is that question focused on? Me. That question is entirely focused on me. Because why are we questioning God's love for us? 
When you think, God, how can you ever love me? What are you thinking about? You're thinking about your own failure. You're thinking about the way that you have marred, despoiled, polluted, destroyed the image of God in you. Who are you thinking about? Yourself. And the enemy loves to get us to think about ourselves. He loves that. You know what worship is? Worship is what you focus your attention on. And when we are sitting in a hole, an emotional hole, going, God, you can never love me because I'm so horrible. What are you worshiping? You're worshiping yourself. Do you know what? Let's be honest. You are horrible. Gee, thanks. It's true. The world hates that. The world right now hates that. I've had people accuse me of the most horrible things because I have said that someone is not worthy of God's love and that they need help. The truth is you are horrible. You have inappropriately handled God's image on you. So Jesus came. Again, this is why we worship Jesus, because I'm not lovely and he is, because my battery is dead, but he's standing there with a working system with the jumper cables ready to restore life to my existence. So we worship Jesus, and when we get our eyes off our own lack, off our own failure, and put them on Jesus, that's when we can say, okay, because I am loved, I am free to, and guess what? When you think on those terms, you do exactly what Joy says, you move on. Okay, I messed up. I failed. I am not lovely. Jesus loves me. And his love never fails. And he has paid the price for my sin. So what does that mean now? And this is why it's going to take me longer than just three weeks. Because there are a number of answers to this question of, because God loves me, how am I now free to think? Because God loves me, how am I now free to behave? Because God loves me, what am I now free to become? Yes, I've been a jerk. But because God loves me, what can I be now? What can I learn to become? And remember, it's a constant process. As long as we're in this body, there's going to be a constant process going on. A process of success, of moving forward. So the first answer I have that we're going to talk about today, and then we're going to move on to the second part of that first answer next week. Because I am fully known and loved by God, I am free to... Are you ready for the first one? I am free to fellowship with God in light and not continue to walk in darkness. Because God loves me, I am free to fellowship with God in the light. I don't have to continue walking in the darkness. Yes? What does fellowship mean again? Fellowship, that's what we're going we're gonna to read a description right now. Well, thank you. So turn with me to 1 John 1. 
with God in light, and I don't have to continue to walk in darkness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. John the Apostle is writing to the church, and he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You remember Jesus said to abide in His love? That's what fellowshipping is. The Greek word is koinonia. It means to live out life together. It means to associate with, hang out together. And John is saying, I'm writing this to you so that that our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, wait a minute. This sounds familiar. Because back in John 15, starting in verse 9, it says, As the Father has loved me, so so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Remember this passage that we read? Verse 11, These things I've spoken to you. Why? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And then the same author later says, that he's talking about the fellowship that we have with the Father and the Son. And why are they talking about that? We're writing these things that, your, that our joy may be complete. Now, 1 John 1, starting in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Do you still need cleansing? Yeah, just like you need a shower every day. We need to have our spirits and our minds and our hearts cleansed. Verse 7, if we walk in the light... Oh, wait, I already read that. Um, Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Do you remember where I said that one of the aspects of the love that God has within the Godhead between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is that every person in the Godhead is fully known? What do you mean fully known? I mean there's no secrets. There's no hidden parts. Mm. I mean there's no shame. Mm. There's no guilt. They are fully known and fully loved. And you remember I said that Jesus invites us to enter into that relationship, that loving relationship. We are created to be fully known by God. 
and to begin knowing him as well. Without shame, without sin. We are invited in a relationship with God where we can be real, where we can be honest. We are invited, Peter, into a relationship with God where we never have to be ashamed. We don't have to be ashamed, y'all. But wait, pastor, you don't know what I've done. God knows what you've done. And he loves you fully. And Jesus paid the price for it. So you don't have to be ashamed of it. You just have to repent and confess your sin to him. And he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse all unrighteousness. This is what it means to walk in the light. Walking in the light doesn't mean we never sin. Walking in the light means when we do sin, we admit it and confess it and get forgiveness. Why? Because we're not ashamed, because we're loved. Because I am fully known and fully loved, I am free to admit when I make a mistake and receive God's love. I'm free to walk in the light and fellowship with God. Later in the same letter, John goes further into this. John 4, starting in verse 16. 1 John 4, thank you. 1 John 4, starting in verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Guys, this is why I'm teaching you this. For this reason right here, that we need to come to know and believe the love that God has for us. Because when we abide in that love, we become fruitful and everything changes. He goes on, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God's ab- God abides in him. And this is love perfected in us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. That's not talking about, by the way, that we're going to do the same miracles Jesus did. That verse that says, as he is, so are we in this world, is talking about walking in God's love. It's not, it doesn't mean we're going to be just like Jesus and do everything Jesus did. Now, there are verses that point to what we can accomplish as followers of Christ, okay? But this verse is not one of them, all right? This verse is saying, as Jesus walked in the world, abiding in God's love, we also walk in this world, abiding in God's love. Verse 18, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Do you know why we hide from God? Because we're ashamed of our mistakes and our failures. Do you know why we're ashamed of our mistakes and our failures? Because we don't understand how much he loves us. If we get a glimpse of how much God loves us, then when we fail, you know what we're going to do? We're going to run to him, not hide from him. When Azariah falls and hurts himself, what does he do? He gets up and he runs to mom. He runs to dad. Why? Because he knows they love him. They're not going to condemn him because he fell down. They're not going to condemn him because he tripped. 
and made a mistake. Their perfect love for him casts out fear, so he's able to run to them. Y'all listen, when we fail, if we understand how much we are loved, we will not run away from the light, we'll run into the light. Because I am loved by God, I am free to run to him when I mess up. Without fear, without shame, without worrying about it. I run to him. I don't run away from him. And this is something we have to learn. Walking in fellowship with the, uh, in the light with God means that when we mess up, we can be honest about it. We don't have to go, okay, well, I'm going to do things right for a while before I ask for God's forgiveness to prove to him that I'm really doing better. I don't know about you guys, but I do that. When I mess up, I feel like I have to do things really well for a while before I go to him and ask forgiveness because I want to prove to him that I really mean it. But if I understand how much God loves me, I won't wait. I'll run to him because I know he will accept me. He will cleanse me from all unrighteousness. We are only free to do this, y'all, when we keep our eyes on Jesus and his perfect love, and we are not focusing on ourselves and our own failures. We are only able to fellowship with God in the light when we are keeping our eyes on Jesus and his perfection, and we're not focusing on ourselves and our own failures. This is just part one of fellowship walking in the light. Because this is really hard, y'all. It is hard for us to change the way we think. This is why I ask for a miracle revelation to you of how much God loves you. Because you are not going to be able to figure it out with your own brain. God has to reveal to you how much he loves you. I want to encourage y'all to ask God yourselves, God, show me how much you love me. Give me a glimpse of how much you love me. You know why? Because it takes a miracle understanding of how much God loves you in order for you to stop being afraid of him. One of my favorite Far Side comics, it shows God as an old man standing in front of a computer. And on the computer screen is this dude walking along and he's whistling... And over his head, there's a piano held by one rope. And God has his finger out over a big computer button that says smite. (laughs) (laughs) Strike. Okay? That is a funny cartoon, but you know what? That does not show us what God is like. When we have come and we have gone under the blood of Jesus and we're forgiven for our sins... God is standing next to us, waiting for us to turn to him every moment of the day. Even in the middle of our sin, he's standing there waiting for us to turn to him. Standing there with his arms open, waiting for us to turn to him. Now, turning to him means that we reject our sin and we repent, okay? But he's waiting for that. He's not waiting to punish us. He's not ashamed of us. He's not angry with us. Because of Jesus' blood, he's ready to love us just like that. 
at a moment's notice. And that is something we have to get in our brains, and that is a hard shift to make in our brains when we've lived in shame for a long time. But like it says in 1 John, we have come to know. We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Guys, that's our goal. But next week, I'm going to talk about the really hard part. That is fellowshipping and walking in the light with other people. And if we don't learn to fellowship and walk in the light with God, if we don't learn to abide in God's love, we will be absolutely incapable of loving other people. Yes. My dad gave me an analogy a while ago when we were talking about this. That was my mom has a friend named Mr. Tom. And she will talk to him for hours on Skype, just sitting there, just being silent, playing their video game or doing whatever. But they'll stay on the call. They'll just be quiet. They won't talk for periods of time. Or like when I'm sitting with a friend, I'll be with that friend, but we won't, we won't necessarily talk 24-7. Like Caitlin can tell you, me and her had plenty of time where we didn't necessarily talk. And that's kind of what I imagine fellowship with God being like, is sitting next to him, even if you're not always... Right. Like, engaged with him. Right. You know, koinonia fellowship is the most powerful ministry that you can do to someone who's lost somebody. What is that? Just being with them. Just being with them. If you know somebody who's lost someone, don't try and fix it with your words. Just go be with them. I have two people that I work with that have recently lost their moms. And when they came back from their bereavement leave, you know what I did? I just walked over and I put my arm around them and I squeezed them. And then I walked away. When I've had friends who've lost loved ones, I go and I sit with them. But we have got to learn to be loved by God and abide in his love or we will never be able to love anyone else. Remember the two great commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we're going to see in all these passages that we've read in John 15, in 1 John, where it talks about love, it always has to do with us loving each other. But it goes back to the root of abiding in His love first. So I want to challenge you all this week. Here's your homework. Ask God to miraculously reveal to you a glimpse of how much he loves you. Because if that happens, everything else will change. You know what will change? What you want. If you get a glimpse of God's love for you, what you want will change. And then your behavior will change. Because you want something different than what you wanted before. 
So Father, we come before you this morning, and God, that's what I ask for anyone who's listening to me, those who are here, part of our church, God, uh, those who are listening on podcasts, I ask, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you will do a miracle and reveal to them how much you love them. Give them a glimpse of your love for them. God, when we realize how much you love us, oh, it's easy to repent from sin. It's easy to walk away from sin because your love is so amazing that that's all we want. Please do a miracle work in every person that's listening to my voice and reveal to them how much you love them. In Jesus' name. And finally, Lord, thank you for sending Jesus. We so horribly managed your image in us. Thank you for sending Jesus to redeem us, to take the punishment for our sin so that we could be restored into relationship with you. Jesus, we thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, that went a little long. Just a smidge. Oh, in your intro is 35 minutes. Yeah, it's only eight minutes afternoon. That's not bad. Yeah, you didn't go that long. Sorry, recap was like right. Right. The recap took a long time, but I really felt like it was important that we repeat that because we hear the lies all week long. So. We have uh, communion. Right, you're really setting the stage. You're really setting the atmosphere Thanks. for communion. Thank you. You know what? You know what, guys? Just like that noise disrupted the room, our sin disrupted our relationship with God. Thank you. But you know what? We're about to do communion, and what communion is at its basic, communion is that we remind ourselves what Jesus did for us. We remind ourselves what Jesus did for us. And that is a part of us refocusing our brains to be aware of his love for us. Do you know that? For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So Joy and I are going to be in the back with the elements. When you're ready, please come back as, a fa as family groups and partake in communion together with us.
Thank you so much for listening today. Remember, we believe in you and we believe in Jesus in you. Have a great week. It will be the 28th and you can bring a turkey invention or you can bring something else. It doesn't matter to me. Everybody bring a turkey. Everybody, I, I'm here every year, so. Um. <laughs>